Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Tuesday, March 2nd. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. We get the latest from Mercedes on the sexual misconduct allegations within the highest ranks of the Canadian Armed Forces, which continues to unfold. Next, we take a look at Monday's announcement of the ease of provincial COVID-19 restrictions. We get reaction from local gym owner and personal trainer Sandra Buchert on how the changes will impact her business. It's no secret this past year has been a tough one financially for so many Canadians. We speak with Bruce Celery, CEO of Credit Canada, for some advice on where to turn if you're struggling. And finally, in the early days of the pandemic, the travel industry was one of the first sectors of the economy impacted, particularly cruise vacations. We catch up with the travel lady, Leslie Cater, for some great news about the rebound of cruising, including some ships selling out two years in advance. But now it is time to check in with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Hi, Mercedes. Hey, Sue. How are you? Good morning to you. Thank you for joining us as always. I know you had uh, another busy show, uh, the West Block on the weekend. And, you know, having another uh, chat with Major Kelly Brennan from the Canadian Armed Forces, that was, was this sort of the first sit down after the news broke that she was sort of the, the main figure in this whole, you know, investigation into General Jonathan Vance? Exactly. It was it was a chance to kind of follow up and find out, you know, what had happened in the last week. And of course, there had been at least one substantial change, and that's that the chief of the defense staff, the, the subsequent one to General Vance, had stepped aside under sexual misconduct uh, investigation Crazy. himself by the military police. So we wanted to know, you know, how had it gone? Um, what is it like putting on your uniform and going into work still? Because she is not out of the military. She is an active duty major. Um, You know, how is that? How is she being treated? How is the investigation going? Based on what she's seen so far, you know, should this be the military police investigating or or should it be an external police force? So we just wanted a chance to kind of sit down with Kelly. um, And she also told me that she had a message she wanted to give to women in the military, a positive message about that change is is possible. She doesn't believe the institution is doomed. She believes that it can be changed and it can be changed in a positive way. Um, and when she came to me and told me she wanted to share that message, she said, of course, you know. Um, and, and so we made the decision to uh, have her back on the show and, and talk about what had happened. You know, and when you hear the, the second announcement and the second uh, stepping aside this week, what does this say about the future uh, of our military? I mean, you know, from the top end down, what does this say? Well, you know, I think it, it certainly is raising concerns about how widespread was this. Mm-hmm. Um, and before before the chief stepped down, the second chief, um, I was hearing over and over again from people at senior ranks in the military that they were essentially going to put... Uh, a dragnet through NDHQ, National Defense Headquarters, looking because the realization being perhaps um, this was this was not just about General Vance, that perhaps this was about how women were being treated in the forces. I can tell you from my inbox, um, I never expected what I'm seeing. It is an endless flood of emails from women in the military, women who serve, women who are currently in. Um, and, and not just, not just from, in allegations to higher level officers within the military? It, you know, it varies. and I can't tell in all of them who they're talking about. Some, some don't want to tell their story. They just want to say, it happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and this needs to change. But that's the common theme. The common theme uh, are twofold. 
one, I love the institution. I was willing to die for my country is, is a theme. And then sadly followed by two, um, I experienced sexual misconduct or I experienced sexual harassment or I experienced sexual assault during my time in the military. Um, and, and that is the common theme. And, and it's often they're talking about um, somebody who they were subordinate to. So it goes to sort of this thing of if Operation Honor happened, which was to root out sexual misconduct, um, yes, some of the numbers improved. As one female officer put it, did it improve? Yes. Is it anywhere near good enough? Absolutely not. I mean, um, so it's, it's really that question. I guess it's not terribly surprising when you talk to just women in, in general life, how many have you know experienced that themselves. And then to look in a you know very male-dominated, male-run institution like the military, I guess it's not terribly surprising we'd be getting these results. Yeah, and I think the frustration for, for a lot of men and women in uniform at this point is like uh, they're, they're feeling it's 2021. Why haven't we figured this out? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, this was the first time it was being drawn to the military's attention. That might be one thing, but the first time it was really drawn to their attention was in 2015. Um, and so I think that there's, a, there's very much a hope that this will be the time that it changes. Um, that, you know, the last one was sort of a kick of the can. It didn't quite work. If you have um, senior leadership uh, who are allegedly doing things that are counter to co- Operation Honor, it's obviously not really setting conditions for success in terms of the message that it's sending. Uh, and there's a feeling that maybe this is a chance to try to figure out how do you fix the culture? Um, and, and and how do you make this a place that, that women want to serve or safe serving, feel comfortable serving? One of the other common things I hear, Sue, um, from a lot of these women is that they have daughters. And their mm-hmm. daughters are, you know, they're little girls still, but they're starting to talk about maybe joining the military. And they feel this is not something they want to happen for their daughter. It's not that they don't want to join the military. They think it's a great career, but they don't want them to have to endure the things right. they've endured um, if they choose to serve Pretty their sad. country. It's a, yeah. it's a the story's not over yet for no. sure, and obviously, if you're still getting correspondence, uh, we look forward to seeing uh, the further coverage that you bring us, Mercedes. Uh, switching gears, uh, the two Michaels obviously very much have been top of mind uh, for Canadians. It seemed to have uh, you know kind of fizzled out when it uh, came to the coverage as far as you know any new information. But you had the opportunity to sit down with Michael Kovrig's uh, wife and have a conversation, particularly surrounding a newly elected uh, President Joe Biden, and perhaps you know what he might be able to get done. Yeah, so he had made some relatively strong comments about saying, you know, condemning the Michaels' detention and and calling for their release. And, of course, um, it is a U.S. extradition warrant that Meng Wanzhou is being held on. So we wanted to sit down with Vina Navjula. She is Michael Kovrig's wife. Um, And she basically said that they're hopeful. They're always hopeful. But there's a difference between words and actions at the end of the day. Um, They feel family feel and she feels this is really getting critical i mean they've been in for over 800 days mm-hmm. it's a very long time and she talked about how um michael Kovrig really is trying to maintain you know his mental state and health by reading and doing yoga um but she said the longer this goes on the harder that is and also she said the most damaging it becomes for canada china relations 
which is a major relationship for Canada. So I, I you know, you just feel for these families. I can't imagine. Um, and we did ask her about the fact that Meng Wanzhou's family was allowed to come here to visit. She has not been allowed to go to China to see Michael. Nobody has. Um, so I, I think that that you know, the Canadian government may be trying to create a situation where that's possible. Um, you know, the families have to be very careful what they do and don't say because it's their family member who right. is vulnerable there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could kind of sense the frustration that here Meng Wanzhou is in basically in mansion. Yeah, a mansion with her family visiting and um, no one has seen Michael Kovrig in person in months. So, well, maybe uh, it's you know it's difficult. good that Biden's stepping in. You know, maybe we need more leaders around the world to step in and step up and and really put the pressure on. But something has to be done. Boy, I, we could talk to you forever. Thank you so much as always for joining us, Mercedes. Thank you for having me. Love chatting with you, Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. 709, the provincial government and health officials announcing yesterday that Alberta will move cautiously into step two of the four-step framework to ease COVID-19 restrictions. To that end, after an outpouring of anger from gym owners and members, limited, (laughs) low-intensity activity is now going to be allowed. So what the heck does that mean exactly? To break it down, we are talking to the owner of one-on-one personal fitness on 17th Avenue, Sandra Buchard. Hi, Sandra. Hi, Sue. How are you? I am good, thank you. You must be a little bit relieved. How are you and your fellow gym owners feeling about this announcement? You know, I believe that people are glad to get the opportunity to go back into the fitness centers, but yet we're confused because things like, um, was it rock climbing made it onto the uh, <laughs> low, in- or indoor rock climbing made it onto the um, low intensity list? And then they're limiting weight training. It's like, it's it's quite confusing right now. Yeah. I'm wondering, you know, there is some ambiguity when you use the term low intensity. And I'm wondering if you can give us some clarification or if you have any clarification, Sandra, because you and I have met several times. And I know that your profession is to, to whip people into shape and you're in incredible Ouch. shape. So your low intensity workout would put me in the hospital or in the wheelchair <laughs> at, at the very least. Um, so uh, when you say low intensity, how is that gauged and what exact type of activities are under that umbrella to your knowledge? And Andy, you're spot on because uh, fitness is variable. And what's my high intensity could be somebody's low intensity. You know, it, it's, it is not uh, something that the gyms are going to be easily able to monitor. And so that also adds to the confusion. You know, I think of that person that's very fit who's being told you can come back to the clubs. You just can't exercise very hard. And so um, I feel that they're not truly incorporating or letting the gym and fitness studio owners clarify or help to make fitness more uh, smooth sailing for everyone right now. And, you know, Sandra, you and I have talked about this and how working out and and the the activities that you do helps to release those feel-good chemicals, which are kind of those things that we all really need right now in order to to get us feeling good and to boost our mood. But without that, so, you know, how's that going to work? If you can only walk on the treadmill, does it still work the same way? It, it doesn't. It's funny that, uh, you know, Sue, because intensity has a huge impact on endorphins and dopamine and serotonin and norepinephrine. Those are the brain chemistry neurotransmitters that make us feel good. 
And let's face it, over the last 12 months, a lot of us have had things to not feel so good about. And now our um, premier is limiting our ability to go back out there and reclaim our fitness. Um, in fact, I believe that there's a reluctance amongst healthcare practitioners to see exercise as medicine and as essential. I'm wondering if you can tell us here, does this, when I say benefit, it's not a competition between the smaller fitness facilities and the big warehouse fitness facilities, but does this benefit one more than the other? Like if my gym can have the capacity of 200 people, or is it a case that my costs might be, you know, my overhead might be too high uh, to, to work out in, in this fashion? Well, it makes it very hard to do business when you're a bigger facility because they're used to having members and training and group fitness and cardio areas. But now they're being limited. You can't drop in. Um, Fine. Book an appointment. But let the gyms innovate and come up with ways in which they can protect the public. You know, why can't the cardio areas be open if there are very, um, if there are barriers that are set up to separate you and I when we're exercising? Um, Andy, I find it quite interesting that you and I or a table of six could go to a bar, take off our masks, talk all night and that's allowed but to go into the gym and exercise for an hour isn't sandra i know you've been doing that you're 31 years now you've owned one-on-one personal fitness so i know you know what you're talking about and you know what people are looking for and what do you what are you hearing right now is why are people coming to you and saying hey i need to get back in the gym what what's the number one reason would you say to stress Uh, anxiety, depression, job loss. Um, As you said, I've been doing this for 31 years, and last week was the first time we did an actual workshop on grief and loss Um, because people are trying to figure out how to exist with this thing when they cannot go to an outlet such as fitness and and get through their daily lives anymore. It's uh, we're we're quite limited as to how we can look after our well being. Wow, incredible! And you know that's something that we've talked about over the past few weeks: the mental health aspect. I'm wondering, you know, we did watch the uh, presentation yesterday, of course, the announcement of the reopening, um, and we know, uh, you know, the libraries and, and what's available yeah. with that low intensity. Do you, because you're in the industry, do you get a special set of instructions sent to you uh, by AHS or by the province as far as, you know, more details? No, I haven't seen anything, and maybe they will have over the next few days more information coming out. I think a lot of the fitness studios are going to have to figure this one out as they go. Um, I find it interesting, Andy, that they said that they had consulted with fitness practitioners because there's things on the list as far as low intensity, like the rock climbing, and then what they define to be high intensity that I would not have put in those areas so i'm not sure who they're consulting with and have you been talking to other gym owners fitness studio people and and that sort of thing like what are people saying in your industry i'm really upset right now sue we've been locked down twice a lot of people have been laid off um you're in the media so you may have heard that the eau claire y was shut Mm -hmm. down 
um, there is a lot of uh, loss and collateral damage to the fitness industry. And we're not given being given the due respect I believe that we deserve. We are life-saving um, businesses, and we're not being treated with the respect I think we deserve. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, and I mean, uh, hopefully the... Uh, gym owners and uh, the trainers and those working in the industry can make a go of it. Yeah. And I guess it's just a case of now uh, uh, contacting your local facility to, to see you know what you're able to do and uh, see if you're allowed to get in with your appointments. Don't run too fast yeah. on that treadmill, whatever you do. That, yeah, <laughs> Don't I guess, run too fast. Don't work too hard. You find out, like, if, you're, to get fit. if you're <laughs> thinking you're going to do one thing, you better check beforehand because who knows what's on the table. But thank you so much for your time this morning, Sandra. Thanks, Sue. Thanks, Andy. That is Sandra Buchert, owner of One-on-One Personal Fitness. You can find her online at oneononefitness.ca. Credit Canada is the oldest nonprofit credit counseling agency in the country. And the organization has just introduced its new CEO. Bruce Celery is a personal finance expert, keynote speaker, and now the CEO of Credit Canada. Good morning to you, Bruce. Did you say I'm the oldest? Yeah, I did. Is that what you are no, 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 you're not going to pay me with that brush. Uh, Have you seen my photo? I look amazing. Vibrant. You do, Bruce. My I keep telling him that. I said boyish good Thank looks you. is what I said. Um, Thank you. But it's interesting because you've got this <laughs> an historic organization known as Credit Canada and a youthful yeah. Bruce Celery. Uh, <laughs> Bruce, you've been on, on the morning news several times to talk about various topics surrounding personal finances. You've had great success in your career. So what was it about Credit Canada that interested you in you know, you took on this role. Number one, we are a thousand percent aligned on our values. So everything that I have been working on for the last 12 years is about inspiring people to get a better handle on their money so they can live the life they want. And I started these Moolala workshops in the Bridgeland Community Center in 2009. And I have been plugging away uh, with workshops and books and reality TV and blah, 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 all that. And here's an organization that has existed since before I was born. So I look at what I looked at what Credit Canada was doing and what I wanted to do. And I thought, oh, my God, we're on the same page. There are 45 people there, including certified credit counselors who are picking up the phone and having conversations that make a difference with people all the time. And I thought I get to hang out with these people and, um, you know, focus on the same things. It's genius. Bruce, let's talk about the struggles that Canadians are facing. Let's, I mean, yeah. th- this past year has been horrendous for so many people. So horrendous. financially, what are you hearing from Canadians? Interestingly, things are relatively stable today. And, and it, it's shocking. It's shocking and also worrying in that we know that's not what it's going to be like in a year. And what has had that be somewhat stable is uh, largely the deferral programs and the government supports, plus the fact that interest rates are so ridiculously low. So I think the message that I have been focused on for the last 12 months now is we are having two pandemics. They are not the same. They are the people who are still working their job and they've got stresses. It's not that they don't, but they've got income coming and then they're likely in surplus. And then there are people, millions of people who have lost their jobs, who are dealing with devastating financial circumstances. And I don't think the phones have been ringing off the hook for the nonprofit credit counselors uh, because of those supports, but they soon will 
because the deferral programs are winding up. The government supports are around for a period of time, but not forever. And interest rates are going to rise. Add to that the real struggles in the job market. And it's not just restaurants and travel. We know, you know what's going on in Alberta. It's really, really tough. So uh, what is so important, I think, for our listeners to hear is that there is a resource. If, if you do a search for nonprofit credit counselors, you'll find us, you'll find Credit Canada, you'll find money mentors, you'll find... Um, some extraordinary organizations that can help you, think, help you figure out what your options are because people do have options. I think part of it, Bruce, as you mentioned, like it's, it's coming down the line. But if you're in financial stress, if, if you're if you're out of work, if you got that mountain of debt and you're standing at the base, it does. You look up, it, it looks like, you know, quite the task. So yeah. the first step, you, you mentioned there's many resources, but what do you tell people? Because I, there must be a lot of despair thinking, how am I going to tackle this? Yeah. I tell them to pick up the phone or book an appointment with one of the nonprofit credit counselors, because what we do is a free debt assessment, first off. So what's the income? What's the expenses? What are the assets? What are the liabilities? And then the credit counseling is, how do we navigate that? So for many people, uh, it, it's, uh, you know, how do you get, how do you trim back on expenses? How do you increase your income? Mm-hmm. For some people, it is a more significant intervention. And uh, that could be orderly payment of debts. That's a program, a debt consolidation program. For a smaller number of people, they may head down the path of a consumer proposal, or they may, may need to have a bankruptcy filing. But that is such a small percentage of people. There's so many options available before that. And I think people think, oh, my God, I can't pay my debts. Therefore, my life is ruined. My credit score is trashed for a generation. Like, all this drama. And that simply isn't so for most people. There are options out there. And if you think about it, the vested interest of the industry is that Canadians have a handle on their money. Like, that's kind of the, the, the where the financial services industry comes from. And then as Canadians, we want people to have a handle on their money. We don't want people to be suffering the, the financial and mental health consequences of, of these kinds of things. So... Uh, let's let's rally together and uh, figure out what solutions are that would make a sustained difference for people. Thank you so much for joining us. Great advice, great reminders, and we can go online at creditcanada.com. I was just over Correct. there and I noticed that there's a, a downloadable debt management planning yes. a, a piece of, you know, some information to help you there to get started. And then yeah. you can also check out brucecelery.com for more information. Thanks for joining us, Bruce. Always a pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. That is Bruce Celery, and again, he's S-E-L-L-E-R-Y, BruceCelery.com, personal finance expert, and he is the CEO of Credit Canada. 7.50 now, and WHO and CDC experts looking at all aspects of cruising safety for travelers, and could cruising quickly become the safest way to travel? Well, we're going to get details on this from the woman who knows it all. She is the travel lady, Leslie Cater. Good morning, Leslie. Good morning, Sue. Thanks for joining us. I mean, what what an about face, right? I mean, when the pandemic began, cruises Uh were being looked at as, you know, the dirty little secret. And now this might be the safest way to go. Well, indeed, yes. I mean, it started off dreadfully with the Diamond Princess in Japan. Such bad news for the cruise industry all around. But, you know, this whole thing was new and nobody really knew how to deal with COVID properly. And what a turnaround. I mean, cruising has been parked basically for a year. And during that time, they've had advice from scientists, members of CDC, members of the World Health. They've got onboard laboratories. They've 
installed new HVAC systems. I mean, they've done absolutely everything they can do to make cruising the safest way to travel. Wow, incredible. And the numbers there as far as not just, uh, you know, a year from now, but up until uh, 2023, uh, from what I understand, the stats are, are staggering as far as the bookings. Oh, yes, my goodness me. We had a world cruise on Oceana that was announced uh, a week or so ago. It sold out in a day. Wow. (laughs) That's amazing. And third of the bookings came from first-time cruisers, which is a very interesting trend. Um, We're finding now that bookings for 22 and 23 are peaking higher than they were in 2018. Well, I can see, you know, you, you don't want to be changing rooms and, and going here, there mm-hmm. and everywhere. When you're on a cruise, you stay in your same room. Exactly. That's right. So at least you get in there and you can assure yourself that your little space is is fine. Also, the cruise lines have been working very hard with their ports of destination because we don't want the situation if somebody does get sick you want them off the ship. You don't want this whole thing mm-hmm. of everybody being quarantined on the ship. That clearly didn't work at all. Uh, but the most interesting one is is Royal Caribbean have a new ship, Odyssey of the Seas. It was going to do its inaugural season in the Med. And it's now moved to Israel. It's going to be sailing out of Haifa starting in May. And the ship will sail with a fully vaccinated staff and crew and only vaccinated passengers on board. Fascinating. Wow. Um, <laughs> as usual, you know, there might be still some people with trepidation who used to love to cruise and want to get back to it. The protection in place as far as travel insurance, is this uh, one of these things that you want to talk to your travel agent about just to make sure that you're, you're covered in every way, shape or form? That's right, yes. The cruise lines have got very flexible booking policies. They understand the trepidations people have. Uh, Manulife has COVID insurance to cover you should you get COVID while you're traveling. So sit down with a professional and make sure that you've got all those areas covered. You can go online, get more information, sign up for her uh, email as well, thetravellady.ca. Thank you, Leslie. Thanks so much, guys. That is The Travel Lady, Leslie Cater.